Yeah, scripture reading comes from Matthew 21, 1 through 11. I just need to unlock my phone because it's hard to see the Bible, so, so I can at least get the text very large here so I can see it. So I'm going to scroll down. Uh, the triumphal entry. So again, that's on page 977 in your pew Bible, page 977, if you, if you want to read along, or you can scroll along on your phone if you have this, it's a great app. Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So I, I want to start by reading an article from a news source. A news source called the Babylon Bee. Recent article that came out says this. A study released by Pew Research Center Thursday morning revealed a new fastest growing religion in the country. Politics. Unlike many religions that only meet once or twice a week, adherents to the religion of politics worship every day, doing their devotionals in front of Fox News, CNN, or their carefully cultivated Twitter feeds. There is a major sectarian dispute among politics followers as to whether the one true God is a donkey or an elephant, but otherwise their methods of practicing their faith are remarkably similar. According to researchers, worshipers of politics are even more zealous and passionate than members of more traditional religions, being more likely to annoy friends and family and blast each other on Facebook over which political god is better. Religious people, some, religious people sometimes go door to door to spread their beliefs, while the political faithful will bother you on Facebook all day long. Today we are continuing in our series called Thirsty. And the central theme of this series, which we've been in uh, throughout this season of Lent, is that as the water is to the body, so God is to the soul. That we cannot go, our bodies cannot go without water for very long. You can only go a few days without water before your body begins to shut down. It's absolutely vital to your body. Water is, and in the same sense, we've seen the Bible uses the analogy of water, uh, water to the body, as God is to our souls, that without God, our souls will shrivel and they will die. And what we're looking at, though, the problem is, is that oftentimes we look to things other than God to quench that thirst. 
And what we discover is that when we look to anything other than God to quench our deepest spiritual thirst, ultimately it will not quench it, it will leave you empty. A little bit like if you try to use something other than water, if you try to use wine or whiskey to quench your physical thirst, those are drinks that actually make you more dehydrated. And in a similar sense, when we look to things other than God to quench our spiritual thirst, ultimately it can't quench it. We look to counterfeit wells. So what we've been doing is we've been identifying counterfeit wells, wells that we will often go to in order to quench that which only God can quench. And as I said, what we're really talking about is idols. We're talking about idolatry. An idol really is anything that you put your hopes in. And an idol is anything that when it fails you, your fears overwhelm you, right? So an idol is that which takes the place of God. You look to it as your rock, as your anchor, and in your heart, it begins to take the the place of which only God can do. And so what I'm looking at today is one more counterfeit well that I see emerging in our culture, and that is politics. That politics can become a well, it can become something that we look to really rather than God in order to quench our deepest spiritual thirst. Now, listen, I know you probably, some of you maybe saw the title politics. You're like, oh my gosh, what is Hanley doing? I told my community group that the other night, and one of them said, you are a brave soul. Uh, and I'm not sure if he meant brave or stupid. I'm not sure what he really meant by that, right? Because really, what am I doing? I mean, I'm just setting myself up here for, you know, there's nothing perhaps more controversial than politics. There's nothing that perhaps strikes a raw nerve more than politics. But listen, you, you got, we have to realize that's exactly why I have to talk about it. Because this whole series is about identifying those things in other words, if, if it didn't strike a raw nerve, there would be no point in me talking about it. Because the whole point is we're looking at things that, that really are, they have become in one sense perhaps even too, mo- too important to us. Too much of that in which we place our hopes. And, and so we've been doing that, you know, throughout this series, we're looking at these different idols. Here's, here's the point. If I don't offend everybody by the end of this series, I haven't done a good job. If I don't offend everybody, then I've, I've apparently let your idol go. I've missed it. So I, you know, I'll, only, I'll feel bad if I don't offend everybody. So I'm just going to kind of leave it at that. So it, the, the very fact that this is a raw nerve is precisely why it's something I need to bring up. Now, a, a second thing I want to just kind of put out there at the offset, what I'm not doing here is I'm not interested so much in what your politics are, right? So this is not... This is not, now we get to find out what Kevin thinks. No, no, no. This, this is, hopefully this will be, as, be bipartisan. My, my purpose here is not to challenge what your beliefs are, but rather the degree to which your hopes and your fears are caught up in them. It's not necessarily rather of, of what your beliefs are, but the degree to which our hopes and our fears are caught up in them. Now, then as a caveat, I do want to say, I'm not encouraging apathy either. You might hear from this, what is he saying, politics don't matter, we shouldn't care about it. No, I'm definitely not encouraging apathy. I, I could, in a totally different series, spend a lot of time talking about the importance of politics. So, for example, if I was doing a sermon on loving our neighbor, it might be very important for me to talk about politics because politics can be one of the ways in which we look to serve and love our neighbor. In fact, I would suggest 
as it is for everything for a Christian, that should really be what we're trying to do in our politics, in, our, in anything that we do. We're looking to love our neighbor. That's what Jesus tells us to do, to love our neighbors as ourselves. So I could do a whole series on loving our neighbor, and then politics, would, I would encourage you to get involved in politics. So it's not that I'm encouraging apathy. What I'm saying, though, is that we have to be sure that politics, like anything else, doesn't become too important to us, that it doesn't become that in which we put our hopes in and that which can also be the source of our greatest fears. Again, with idolatry, what idols are is they are good things, right? Politics is a good thing. Uh, But it's when good things become ultimate things, then they become worldly things, and then they can become destructive. And what I want to start by saying is I don't think it's surprising that politics could become idolatrous to us, that it would be easy for politics to become something that actually takes the place of God in our lives without us even realizing it. And the reason for this is because politics really does represent the highest form of human authority. I was looking at Forbes magazine, was listing the, the top, I don't know, 25 most powerful people in the world, and the top five were all politicians. They were all political leaders. And so politics is the highest realm of human authority. In that sense, it's one step below spiritual authority. So it's not all that surprising that we might find ourselves drawn to that and that that could, in fact, become idolatrous. I think the truth is if, you're not a, if you don't believe in God, then the default is going to be to turn to politics. It's going to be because what, what else? That, that's, there is nothing higher than that. There's nothing beyond that. If you're a non-believer, that, that's very much likely what you're going to gravitate towards. But I think as a believer, you see, in times of doubt, in times of spiritual doubt, we also will gravitate towards that. As well. Now, uh, what we're talking about, are we talking about wait, politics is as an idol? Wait, Kevin, I don't, I don't worship politics. I don't, I don't worship my political views. And what I want to say here, if, if, you're, if you're thinking that, is remember, we're talking about this is a matter of the heart, okay? It's not a matter of the mind. Of course, everyone, you, you're orthodox, right? Jesus over everything else, Jesus over everything else. We're talking about what's going on in our hearts. And oftentimes in our hearts, it, it, it becomes difficult to separate these things. So, for example, it can be difficult to separate our love for God from our love for country. That can be difficult to separate in our heart, right? In fact, I remember having a conversation with somebody once, and they made this comment. They were talking about, uh, I'm not, I can't remember who it was, somebody famous, and they said, oh, yeah, you know, they're a good Christian, you know, a patriotic American. As if being a Christian and being a patriotic American were one and the same thing. As if if you are a Christian, then you're obviously a patriotic American. And if you are a patriotic American, then you're obviously a Christian. As if there's no way of dividing those two things. And actually, that idea that love of God and love of country kind of become one, that's actually one of the issues, main issues Jesus was dealing with in his ministry. In fact, as we come to this passage, what do we discover here? is when Jesus enters into Jerusalem, they are hailing him as king. And they are hailing him as the Messiah. He is the fulfillment of the, the prophecies that have 
come in the Old Testament scriptures prophesying the coming of the king who would come in the line of David. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And to those people who would have been welcoming him in, they very much would have been thinking about this along political lines, that Jesus was going to come and lead Israel to a national victory over Rome. In fact, there, of course, what we have to realize here, this is Palm Sunday. Here, they're celebrating the coming of Jesus into Jerusalem, and a week later, they're crying for him to be crucified. Now, why is that? Well, there are a lot of reasons. There, there's a lot of scholarly debate about exactly what's going on, but certainly part of it seems to be the case that Jesus simply is not the political leader they were looking for. And they should have seen that throughout Throughout his ministry, he was not going to do that, that he was not there on some sort of agenda to, to make Israel a great nation. What he wanted to, to show them is that the kingdom of God cannot be reduced to any sort of political entity. It can't be reduced to any sort of national political entity or any sort of global political entity. This is a matter of him, this is saying that the kingdom of God cannot be reduced to any kind of political entity. And so, uh, Jonathan Lehman, who is a, an elder at Capitol Hill uh, Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., uh, that is a church that, as you might imagine, they're, they're very close to Capitol Hill. They have a lot of politicians on both sides of the aisle who come to their church. They're sort of in the thick of politics, and so that's a church that has had to really think through how does the gospel relate to politics and, and that sort of a thing? And I, I just kind of want to, to say what he says about our love for our country. This is what he says as Americans. He says, how do we live as citizens of a nation while being a citizen of the kingdom of Christ? How do we live as citizens of a nation while being a citizen of the kingdom of Christ? And then this is what he says. He says, step one is letting go of America and our American identity long enough to give it to the Lord and let him fashion it as he pleases. We become better friends to America by loving Christ first. Christ must be first. And friends, this is one of the reasons why I have a tendency to shy away from patriotism in the church. And the reason why I do this, it's not that I'm opposed to patriotism at all. It's similar to how, uh, you'll, you may notice, I don't make a big deal out of Mother's Day or Father's Day. Either. I don't really like to, to really drum, drum that up. I certainly don't organize my preaching calendar around Mother's Day and Father's Day. And it's not that I don't think celebrating mothers is important. I mean, uh, my wife, she is pregnant with our third child. If you didn't know that, my wife's pregnant with our third child, and she, uh, I mean, she's like has headaches every day. I mean, she is just sick, but I see her giving herself every day for the sake of this child that is in her, in her womb and giving herself for our children. I mean, look, I'm telling you, when Mother's Day comes, if I don't make a big deal out of it, I am an idiot, right? I mean, I, of course, I am going to celebrate my wife and, and, and all that she means to me and my family, but I'm not sure the church is the place for because you see, when we gather together on Sunday morning, we are not here to celebrate how great mothers are. We are not here to celebrate how great fathers are. 
We are not here to celebrate how great our country is. We are here to celebrate how great God is. That's why we are here. And so all of these things are good, but they have to find their place. And of course, as, I, as I've said, uh, as I talked about, we talked about relationships, right? And, and one of the things that we saw is you, you will be a better parent when you love God more than your children. The key to being a good parent is actually loving God more than your children. That when you actually love your children as your God, you love them as much as God, it starts to twist things. Things get weird and they get distorted. And the same thing is true with our country. The best way to love our country is to love God first. So we have to be careful that we are, we, re, we have to be able to separate these things, our, our love of God, our love of country. We have to be able to separate uh, what, what this looks like. And this relates not just to our country, but to our specific political views as well. In other words, I think sometimes for some of us in our hearts, we have a hard time separating the B-I-B-L-E from MSNBC. And others of us have a difficult time separating the good news from Fox News. That for us, it's like they, they sort of go hand in hand. And, uh, or another way of putting this is, let, let me ask you this. When you, when you listen to whatever your trusted news source is, let me ask you this. Do you allow the Bible to critique what you are hearing? Or do you go to the Bible to defend what it is that they said? You see, I think a lot of us, when we come to the Bible we, with our Paul, we already have our views made up, and now we just want to go to the Bible and find a way to defend what we already believe. You see, when you're doing that, the Bible is not really your authority. You're just using the Bible to defend that which has become authoritative to you. So we, we sort of confuse, we have to be honest about that. Do we do this? Do we allow the Bible to critique our political views or do we look to the Bible to defend what we already believe about our politics? Another way of saying this is, are we, are we open to the possibility that some of our political views might not be in line with the gospel? Now, I'm not saying that any of yours are. I'm sure yours are perfect. I'm sure they are. And I'm sure that some of ours probably are more in line, definitely are more in line with the gospel. But the question is, are we open to considering the possibility that we might be wrong? Are we open to the possibility that maybe it isn't even necessarily a matter of being right or wrong on views, but that our, our emphasis, what we emphasize, sometimes the difference between two people in terms of political views isn't necessarily that they disagree. They just disagree on what is more important on any on when looking at two different issues, is it possible that the Bible might help us to think about where our emphasis is, right? So all of this leads to, I'm just going to give you here, and this is somewhat rehashing a little bit of what I've already said, but signs that politics have become idolatrous in your life. Signs that politics might become a sort of counterfeit wealth. And as I said, this is already this, you are just as devoted to MSNBC as you are to the BIBLE or you are just as devoted to Fox News as you are to the good news, right? I mean, you get up and you have your devotionals. I mean, what, what, is de what do devotionals for you involve? Well, this is what I do in the morning. I get up, I pour myself a cup of coffee, I read my Bible, you know, I read my daily bread, and I watch Fox News, right? That's, that's my morning devotional routine. A sign that it's become idolatrous is that 
It's almost become a devotional practice for us. Another sign is, is that not, not only do our news sources uh, become things which we don't question, instead we just try to defend them with the Bible, but, but the political leaders that we support, they become unquestionable. I, I, I believe it's Ronald Reagan was is sort of given the term as the Teflon president. I think he's the first one that was given that term. But the reality is there have been a lot of Teflon presidents, at least from the perspective of their supporters. I think this has been true. There was a book that came out in 2008, right, called The Cult of the Presidency. So already in 2008, people were kind of identifying what, what, what is going on here, the sense that, that people who support their president, whether it's Obama or Trump or, or whoever it is, that they're, they're all Teflon presidents, that, that nothing sticks in terms of, from the perspective of those who support them. In other words, we are quick to defend, but we aren't quick to, to think critically about maybe they could be wrong. They become unquestionable to us. Friends, the only true Teflon leader is Jesus Christ. He's the only one where if people are criticizing him, you're right to, to think, no, that can't be right. You're right to, to say, no, 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 that's, that's not Jesus. He is the one and the only Teflon leader. And when we start to, to really, when something comes out, I mean, isn't it just true? We just, if... For Obama, his supporters, Teflon president. For Trump, supporters, Teflon president never does anything wrong. That is a sign, that is a sign of idolatry, that politics has become idolatrous. And then, of course, closely relate. Oh, another way in which we can do this, I think this is important. A sign that it's becoming idolatrous to you is that in your heart, you see, everybody, we all have a sense of who our people are. Like, who are my people? My peeps, like my people, like the people, like when I sit down with them, now I'm with my people. You know what I mean? And like we can just talk freely because we all, it's all, it's comfortable. These are my people. I think a sign that politics has become idolatrous is when your people are really defined more along political lines than even along your faith. Now Christianity, it talks about the body of Christ we are the body of Christ, that we are united. We are a community that is united through our faith in Christ, and that, that is this incredibly tight bond. My question is that, that perhaps what has happened throughout recent histories, there's been a body of Obama and a body of Trump, that we have almost found our community, those with whom our people are to be more along political lines than even along our faith in Christ. It's another sign that politics is becoming idolatrous to us. Now, here, here's, the, here's the question which we need to get at now. Why do we get so fired up about politics? What is the thirst that we are trying to quench? And I think that there's actually a number of, of ways in which politics, or another ways in which we use politics, a number of different thirsts which we are trying to quench. Honestly, one thirst we're trying to quench, for some of us, is boredom. I think politics, for many people, is like nothing more than entertainment. We're sort of entertained by it. We, we, love, we love watching it. It's, it's almost like, uh, and this, this is why I think, in some respects, we value entertainment over accuracy, even in politics. Right? The, 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 
the reporters, the politicians that, that perhaps we gravitate to the most, they're not necessarily the ones that are the most accurate. They're, they're just the most entertaining because it's trying to quench this, this uh, boredom. I, I think in some respects politics for some people has become what sports is to other people, right? I mean, it's, it's perfect. Like you've even got like every four years, you've got the national championship. Right? And, and then, you know, you've got the Democratic National Convention, the Republican National Convention. That's like the AFC Championship game and the NFC Championship game. And you've got the primaries. That's like the playoffs, you know. You know who's who's going to make it? Who's going to get in? Who, who are you for? You start, you start rooting for these people like you're rooting for a, a sports team. And then you've got, like, you know, the fact checkers. That's like instant replay. Instant replay. And as you know, you watching a game with somebody, with the the fan of some team, it doesn't matter what the instant replay shows. That was not pass interference. If that's your team, I don't care how many times you show me the replay, I don't think it's pass interference if it's my team. And in the same sense, our actors are politics. Like, you can show me all the facts you want, I don't believe it. Because it's become entertainment to us. We don't really care if our politician's right. We just want them to win. And we don't care if, if, if our athletes did the, you know, if that was a penalty on them. We just want them to win. So I think it has become something we use to quench this thirst of boredom. <clears throat> okay, but that's, that's only part of it. And I don't want to trivialize the seriousness of politics. And, and what I would say is that, that for, hopefully, for many of us, what this is really about is we have this thirst for justice. We have a thirst for justice. We have a thirst for things to be the way they are supposed to be. We have a thirst for justice in the full biblical sense, which is that justice leads to shalom. Shalom, the Hebrew word for peace. And that word peace in Hebrew is a word that talks about human flourishing. That we look around at our world and we see things that should not be the way that they are, and we want them to change. Now, obviously, sometimes our politics are entirely selfish. We vote simply on what is going to benefit us uh, individually. But, hey, I'm going to be charitable. I'm going to give us the benefit of the doubt. And I'm going to say, no, no, no. For many of us, we really, we look at the world. We see so many things that aren't the way that they should be. And we have this thirst for things to be right, this thirst for justice. We see a broken world in so many different ways. And one of the things that we need to see is part of what happens is there is so much brokenness in this world, it's impossible to be passionate about everything. And so often what happens is you'll have two people, they're just passionate about different things. They're passionate about different, different priorities. One person might be very passionate about caring for our veterans. Another person might be very passionate about caring about racial issues, right? And both of these things are important. But it's impossible, you see, as finite individuals to be passionate about everything at once. But th- th- this, this, this is what it is. We have this thirst, this longing for things to be right. And so here's, here's then just what needs to be said. Even at its best... Politics will always fall short. Even at its best, let alone its worst, even at its best, politics will always fall short 
of bringing justice and bringing shalom in completion. And here's where we get to the very heart of the gospel. And there's a number of different reasons for this, but surely the central reason is this. Romans 3.23 says this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The heart of biblical truth is that every single person is a sinner, that our, our nature is actually for ourselves, and we fight against that constantly. We are all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. And if that's true of every individual, then that's going to be true of every community. That's going to be true of every nation, of every political party. We fall short. Politics, nations will always fall short. Let me kind of put it another way, uh, an, uh, an illustration of this. It, it doesn't matter how nice your car is. If you're drunk when you drive it, you're not going to get where you need to go. Right? I mean, you, you might have your, the, the latest BMW or Mercedes or whatever. I mean, that thing is just perfectly engineered to get you where you're going. If you're drunk, you're not going to get And the same thing is true of politics. I don't care how perfectly crafted your political strategy is. And, and look, your politics, they really might be better. Like, your politics might be a BMW, and my politics might be like my Honda Civic. Like, man, it's probably not as good. Probably not going to get to the goal of justice as well as your politics would. But the problem is, if everybody's drunk, you're still not going to get there, no matter how great and how well-crafted your politics are. Just to give you an example of this, Kenneth Barnes is a professor who now teaches at, at Gordon-Conwell, my alma mater, Frank's alma mater, uh, for seminary. And uh, I just called you out on that. I don't know if anybody knew you went there. Anyway, so Kenneth Barnes teaches there, and he just uh, released a book, I don't know how long ago, and I heard him speaking about this. I haven't read the book, but I heard him talking about the book. And the title of the book is Redeeming Capitalism. Redeeming Capitalism, and, and he shared in this podcast that I listened to that he is an outspoken advocate of capitalism, right? So in terms of his politics, he, he very much is going to vote and range his politics towards those who protect what he sees as defending capitalism and, and all of that. But his book is titled Redeeming Capitalism because his point is, he's like, capitalism doesn't work if people aren't virtuous. He says capitalism can become an instrument for evil when people aren't good. He's like, it doesn't, it doesn't make any difference if you, again, if you have the right politics, and he thinks that's the right politics, whatever. He's saying, even if you have that, if you don't have virtuous people, it's not going to lead to justice, no matter how good your politics are. No matter how good they are, they are not going to be able to bring this. Um, look, I, I think here's what we need to realize. Some, some of us, we look around at, at things that are going on politically. And some of us, I think, are terrified. Here's what we need to realize. The problem isn't politics. The problem is people. The problem isn't politics. The problem, at its heart, is people. No matter how good it is, or even at its best, politics will always fall short. This is why we shouldn't look to it to quench that thirst. But secondly, even politics at its worst 
ultimately can't stop God from accomplishing his purposes. Even politics at its worst ultimately cannot stop God from accomplishing his purposes. I don't mean to say that to minimize the horrors that bad politics can bring. I'm not here to minimize that. What I'm here to do is to maximize the greatness of our God. That politics at its worst ultimately can't stop him. And, And here, let me put it this way. And here's where we get to the heart of the gospel. Politics can no more stop justice than the cross could stop Jesus. You see, at the heart of the Christian faith, I don't know if you realize this, is a very political event. Sometimes we sort of forget this. The cross is a political event. Jesus was crucified by the greatest empire in the known world. And the heart of the gospel is when he was crucified, after three days, he rose from the grave. And it was a demonstration, not only that he had victory over sin and sickness and over death, but that he had victory over every power, every earthly power. That no matter what political engine works its way into our society, we have a God who went right into the belly of it. And the Roman Empire was absolutely the most powerful and in many respects one of the most ruthless empires, certainly in the way in which they treated those who they saw as a threat to them. And the heart of the gospel is that through Jesus' resurrection, we see that he has power over all political entities. And so, friends, as we come to this passage, this is the triumphal entry, it's called, where Jesus enters into Jerusalem and he is hailed as king. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What we need to realize is that this right here, in light of the resurrection, in light of Easter, why why do we make such a big deal out of Easter? Because everything hinges on it. Everything hinges on it. Jesus doesn't rise from the grave. He's just another failed Jewish Messiah. He doesn't rise from the grave, and politics is our only hope. On Easter, what we celebrate is, no, there is a God, there is a king who has entered into our world and has shown that he has power over all. Friends, we now come to our time of communion. Ushers, if you can begin to come ready and get ready for for communion. And I want us to realize, actually, that communion is, in this sense, communion is, in this sense, a political act. There is always a sense in which when we profess faith in Christ, we are saying to all earthly powers, there is a higher king. And when we take of the elements, we are, in essence, pledging our allegiance to Christ. That's why when we take communion, uh, if if you're not a believer, uh, we are so glad that you are here with us. Uh, But we would just encourage you, just allow the elements to to pass you by, because, because this is an act of saying, Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my King. You are the one in whom I put all of my hope and all of my trust for salvation. Will you bow your heads with me? Dear God, we come before you this morning and we acknowledge that you are king. You are Lord over all things. God, we are 
a week away from the most powerful political event in history. The announcement that the kingdom of God truly had broken into our world. The announcement that you, Lord Jesus, are king over all things. God, we we pray that as we take these elements, our allegiance to you would once again be solidified. God, we would see that our hope is in you. And God, because our hope is in you, God, we can work in every area of our life, including in politics. We can work with a certain sense of detachment. God, that we can accomplish great things, but ultimately, God, it's only at your discretion. God, I pray that as we look at this world and we see the challenges that we face, challenges in many respects that seem completely overwhelming, God, we would remember, we would remember the crucifixion. We would remember that there has never been a point in history when the kingdom of God was more vulnerable than when you died on the cross. But at its most vulnerable is precisely when we saw your greatest power. God, I pray that as we face all kinds of challenges and realities in this world, God, we would not lose hope. We would see that you and you alone are king and in you we can trust. We pray this in Jesus' name.